0: Remarks is my sermon title. Um, I have some self-confidence quotes. Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, Goethe, who wrote Faust, I guess, said, as soon as you trust yourself, you will know how to live. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, trust thyself, every heart vibrates to that iron string. The Dalai Lama said, with realization of one's own potential and self-confidence in one's ability, one can build a better world. Oprah Winfrey said, it is confidence in our bodies, minds, and spirits that allows us to keep looking for new adventures. And the greatest of all philosophers, Dr. Seuss, said, you have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, you can steer yourself in any direction you choose. You're on your own. And you know what you know. You're the guy who'll decide where to go. Now, life necessitates confidence. It does. We need we need it. I mean, insecurity, indecision, fear, doubt can paralyze you, can hold you down, hold you back. And of course, self-confidence is built upon this one shaky foundation, which is the word self. (laughs) That's really a problem for me anyway. Me, my abilities, my upbringing, my skills, my talents, my knowledge. It's not really that stable. And I feel that much of the time. We're continuing on in our Philippians Joy Everywhere series that we started Uh, quite a long time ago now, and we've taken little breaks here and there. And so we're returning to it. Um, And it's this letter that Paul writes to the church in uh, the Greek city or Macedonian city, however you want to call it. It was Macedonia back in the day, uh, called Philippi to encourage the believers there. And he wrote the letter kind of give or take 2,000 years ago-ish. And we can find encouragement, amazingly, as we dig into it today. And it's this amazing thing that as we, as we go in and we look at what Paul's written and what he's saying, we find tremendous encouragement. Um, Paul starts his letter, if you remember this, he starts his letter with thanksgiving and with prayer. And he's encouraging the Philippians that circumstances can't stop the joy-filled good news from going out. And that if we live in the, the example and in imitation of Jesus laying down his life, we find uh, that our lives shine like stars for his glory. And this is this tremendous picture that uh, we, we see. So we're in Philippians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. Or we're going to put it up um, on, the, on the slides as well. It's Philippians chapter 3. And uh, we're going to do verses one, two, six, or seven, seven. Um, so this is what Paul writes. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me now, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. This is God's word. We're going to see that our lives and worship flow from our confidence in Jesus. Our lives and our worship flow from our confidence in Jesus. Paul starts with, this warning, watch out. And so I found some, uh, some interesting uh, caution signs uh, for us to ponder. The, the one in the top corner is heavy pedestrian traffic, which I don't know where they put that sign, but I don't want to be walking on that crosswalk. And then below that, they have the, uh, this sign. This sign has sharp edges. Do not touch the edges of this sign. I don't know what the sign is for other than just warning people about the sign so that's kind of weird and then uh the top right corner says please be safe do not stand sit climb or lean on fences if you fall animals could eat you and that might make them sick thank you it's <laughs> a good reason not to climb the fence and then my favorites touching wires causes instant death $200 fine so uh you're dead and we'll fine you as well. What if I, what if I told you caution, watch out for those dogs, evildoers, and flesh mutilators? I mean, what would you be thinking if I said that to you? If we were like talking on the street and I said, hey, watch out for dogs, evildoers, and flesh mutilators. I mean, what are you thinking about? What are the worst kind of people that could come to mind? who would be the most dangerous for you to watch out for? And why does he say flesh mutilators? I mean, that sounds so scary, right? Like, do you know that if you saw, if you just think about it for a second, if you saw the word flesh on a movie title, you would be thinking of either pornography movie, or you'd be thinking of flesh eating zombies, wouldn't you? I mean, that's kind of maybe what would come to mind if we, if we saw this word flesh all on its own. And things of the flesh, if I said that to you, you might be thinking about some of the things like maybe it's lust or sex or drinking or gluttony, right? Things of the flesh, okay, uh, you know, maybe that's who you're most worried about. Those are the things you're most worried about. People who would drag you into that stuff. And that's what you're trying to avoid. And so that would make sense as a, as a warning. But Paul's warning goes in a totally different direction. Is why it's so interesting. When the Philippians read Paul's warning, they're not thinking of zombies. Do you know? They're thinking of Jews. That's who they're thinking about. And he could have warned this largely Gentile, non-Jewish audience. He could have warned them about all sorts of things. I mean, they're about their culture. They're living in Rome. I mean, Rome is their culture. About their Roman proclivities. Like there's all sorts of, you know, flesh stuff out there in the Roman culture that he could have warned them about. Or maybe it would be the pagan beliefs that would surround them and the temples and all the different things people believe that he should warn them about. But Paul's warning is about religious people. That's Paul's warning. He's worried about religious people. The dig is kind of, it's interesting because if you look at it, so dogs, this is Paul's three-point dig. Dogs was a common insult or like a way the Jews would talk about Gentiles. Like, you know, unbelievers, pagan dogs, kind of the thing. Even Jesus, in one of his Interactions with a with a, a Gentile woman refers to not giving the food from the table to the to the dogs, referring to non Jewish people. So it was a way they talked about non Jews. So here Paul turns it the other way. Evildoers means bad people. I mean, I don't think I've got to explain that. Evildoers, right? And in this case, he's directing it at rule following. The goody-goody people, the people you would look at and say, wow, they really don't break the rules. Mutilator, this word mutilator was it's an uncommon word, an extreme word that means circumcision. So it's referring to to that, but it wasn't a common word. It's not a word they would use really for it. It kind of references secret cults or this idea of like people who mutilate their flesh cut themselves to please their God or goddess, some kind of secret group like that. And so you've got this strange picture, but Paul clearly, he, he directs all these digs at one group. And the one group he's directing them at are specific Jewish Christians. So I'm not saying he directed this at all Jews or all Jewish Christians, but specific Jewish Christians. Watch out for believers who add to the good news message. Faith in Jesus and following all the Old Testament laws. Those who claim grace and the list. Follow Jesus and you need to get circumcised, you need to eat kosher, you need to observe feasts and sacrifices, or God is not pleased. You are not a Christian. Watch out. Paul says, for those whose confidence is in their circumcision, their flesh, their pride in their heritage, their religion is outward acts without substance. This is Paul's warning. Watch out. And then he says, for it is we, for it is we. (laughs) There's a a story of these three guys who, who are driving through the desert on a road trip and they end up getting... The car breaks down in the desert and they're in the middle. They, un- they know how far they've come and they know how far they've got to go. They're in the middle of the desert. And so they decide they've got to get out of the car. They want to stick together. And so they're going to walk back to the nearest gas station and try to solve their problem. But it's, it's miles and miles and miles. And so they each decide, you know, we can't carry a lot because of how far the walk is. So, so let's just decide on one thing each we're going to carry. And so the first guy says, okay, I'll carry this big jug of water. I think I can carry that. And, uh, you know, what are you going to take? The second guy says, oh, I'll take the, you know, we got this bag of sandwiches. I'll bring the sandwiches. And so they're like, okay. And they turn to the third guy. What are you going to bring? And he's like, I'm going to bring the car door. And they look at him and the first guy says, what is wrong with you? The car, I'm bringing a jug of water in case we're thirsty in the desert. And he's bringing sandwiches in case we get hungry and we are starving. We need to eat. And you're bringing what, how, how does it make any sense? And the guy says, well, I mean, if I get too hot, then I can roll down the window. So it makes sense. That's, that's how religion feels to me. Like this big onerous thing we're going to carry around that in the end is a bit ridiculous. It's a bit ridiculous. Like we put our confidence in something ridiculous. Like you're going to roll down the window. We are. Are the circumcision, says Paul. Now, to be clear, the Jews were circumcised in obedience to the scriptures. They were the circumcised. If you were going to say that about any group of people, it would be the Jewish people, the Israelites. But repeatedly, the prophets warned them over and over and over not to rely on outward affectation, that, that they shouldn't rely just on outward things. Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says, Moses writes, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all of your heart and all of your soul and live. There was meant to be a difference between being circumcised and being circumcised. Do you catch the difference? Being circumcised and being circumcised. Don't they sound the same? They do. <laughs> There's this word play between Paul's word that he uses, mutilation, and then the other word he uses for circumcision. It's these two Greek words. And, and in English, they don't sound anything alike. Mutilation and circumcision. They don't <laughs> sound the same. But in Greek, if we knew Greek or read Greek, we would hear the word play. I'm looking at Ben because Ben knows Greek now. And the two words are, th- this is what they sound like in Greek, in John's pronunciation of them. Katatame and peritome. Peritome. And so they sound similar, don't they? There's a similarity in the, especially in the endings of the word, that people would catch if they were hearing it in the language, that these things are similar, they mean the same thing in some ways, but they're very different. Very different. One is false and one is true. One false and one true. It reminds me of the story that John tells about Jesus sitting in the room and Mary comes in. All the disciples are there and Mary comes in and she takes the, her perfume jar, expensive perfume, the kind that should last you your whole life, It's inherited, you know, pass it on down. It's worth a year's wages. And she pours it out on the feet of Jesus. And the disciples are all shocked. And, you know, Judas points out, you know, rightly so. We could have taken that very expensive perfume you just poured out on the floor. And we could have sold it and given the money to the poor. And that would make more sense. And Jesus refuses to shame Mary. Instead, he says that she has chosen the better thing, that um, he praises her and her wasteful, extravagant gift of worship as she anoints him for death and burial. Because this isn't a religion of religious activities. It's It's a relationship involving the heart. It's a relationship involving the heart. So how does Paul define the circumcision? How does he define the people of God? He does it by by three marks. Not, Not the cut of a foreskin, but three marks. Those who serve by the spirit, those who boast in Jesus, and those who put no confidence in the flesh. Those are three things he says that mark the Christian, the believer, the one who is the true circumcision. So if we look at these serve, serve God in the spirit. I mean, we could get distracted by the word serve, but the word serve means to minister. So it's not just like being a servant hearted person. It's that actually we're serving God. We're worshiping him. And it's the like religious duties kind of word. So to be the servant or to render religious service or homage to worship, to offer sacrifices, to present offerings, This is the kind of picture we're we're given here. Worship and service and sacrifice and a life, but not in the flesh, but in the spirit. And that contrasts with those who worshiped only by the flesh. They were doing things outwardly for show. Their confidence is in their activity. It's in their mark. It's in their doings. It's in their keepings. And our worship is in spirit and truth from the heart to the Lord. Secondly, Paul says those who boast in Christ Jesus. And this word boast means it could go either way. It could be like bragging, like the negative kind of idea we have of boasting or bragging, or it could be like a good kind of boasting. It depends on what's the, what are you boasting about? Whether this word is positive or negative. And I don't know about you, but I I mean, if I don't know many people who are like walking around boasting about Jesus in their workplace. Like, Hey, Jesus is the best yet. Jesus is so awesome. I know Jesus because he's the best, you know? And I think many people would feel like that would turn people off if you walked around kind of boasting about Jesus at work like that anyway. And so, you know, I wonder like, what is it? What does it mean this word uh, boast or glory in Um, how how would that look for us to boast or glory in Jesus? And Romans 5, 1 to 3 gives us, again, a little bit more of the picture. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. See, to boast in Jesus is to put our confidence in his death and resurrection, to build our house on this rock, our conviction and our hope in his sacrifice and in his soon return. That's what our confidence is in. That's our boast, what we glory in or take joy in. And thirdly, Paul says, people who put no confidence in the flesh. Now, this kind of Confidence in the flesh isn't Paul talking about muscles or leg lifts or pushups. He's talking about spiritual pedigree, your spiritual pedigree. So for us, it might sound like, you know, I pray, I read my Bible. I attend services. I attend services during COVID. I give to the poor. I am a small group leader. I don't smoke or drink. I don't sleep around. I'm not a racist. I help people. I do good things. I don't do bad things. Maybe our list of confidence looks like something like that. But we are Christians. We are Christians, which means we put no confidence in the flesh. We don't. Now, I'll admit the last section of this passage is Paul bragging, and so he kind of puts this all a little bit in a weird way, when he just said Christians take no confidence in the flesh, and then he breaks out in like this horn-tooting session about himself and his like great things, right? You know, if someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more! You like, depending on the tone I read that to you in, you'd be like, whoa, Paul has like gone off the deep end on ego trip right? And he does this in a few places. We'll see it in different letters that he he tells everyone the what for, you know, his confidence list, his bragging rights. And to a Jew, his his credentials are impressive. Maybe not to you. Maybe you read it and you're like, okay, so what? But to them, the list was impressive. It was. Circumcised on the prescribed day. Not, not even everyone was circumcised. And uh, maybe not on the right day. Maybe it's just kind of like, oh, we got to it, you know. We understand we should do that. But Paul, his family did it. They were on it. The right day. He was born a Jew. He was of the tribe of Ben, Benjamin, which included Jerusalem. Their inheritance was to included Jerusalem. I mean, it's a, it's a big thing to be of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul wasn't just born a Hebrew. He spoke Hebrew, which not everyone did. There were many first century Jews who would speak only Aramaic or Greek. And Paul He knew the real language, the real deal. And Paul went to the Harvard of Jewish studies. I mean, his schooling was like Harvard to us. That's what it was. The school of Gamaliel had interpretations that were cited in the Mishnah and in the Talmud. Like when people were like, oh, let's go. What does Harvard say about this? It was like, what does Gamaliel say about this? Oh, and you went to Gamaliel school? Wow. Like, whoa, it's way up there. And he's a Pharisee, which back in the day didn't mean hypocrite. Pharisee meant like the people who were the most on it. They had the most accurate interpretations of the law. They were living it out and highly respected in their culture. And Paul says he's zealous. He's so zealous he's chasing down the Christians and persecuting them. That's how zealous he is about doing what God wants him to do or what he thinks God wants him to do. Like Paul says, if someone could make it on works, it would be me. Literally, he says, faultless. (laughs) I would not write that. Paul does. This is what he says. I mean, but what's on your confidence list? What's on your list? Your secret or not so secret reasons for being a good Christian? What's your pedigree? What's your go to? Your confidence. I'm a good person. I'm not a bad person. I go to church. I believe the right things. What's your security in? Is it a large, healthy bank account or your influential position or the approval of others or your comfort or being right or winning? In the next verse, Paul will call it all loss. Loss, garbage, refuse, the dung pile. That's what he believes about his spiritual resume. It's not worth the paper it's printed on. Philippians 3.8, just below our passage, Paul says, I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And you know what? We don't root out this kind of religious twaddle, this like stuff going on by taking a study class. Oh, we'll just study more and then, and then we'll, we'll start, you know, believing the right way or we'll start, you know, really setting this straight. The, the way we, we get rid of this is by the expulsive power of a new affection, that we come to see Jesus like Paul actually does on the road to Damascus. And it both blinds him and also opens his eyes and transforms him totally. And eventually he does see again. But I mean, he could see before that as he experiences the power and the presence of Jesus. And we glory in a beautiful savior. And he writes this to celebrate Jesus as Lord. And because we are his people is the sure antidote to all false and rival beliefs that we could come to Jesus, the living Jesus to encounter him and to be transformed. And so in conclusion, our lives and our worship flow from our confidence in Jesus. Our section It begins with a reminder warning, and that is watch out for those whose confidence is in the flesh. Not flesh like bad stuff, necessarily, but good stuff, spiritual stuff. And a reminder about us that we are the circumcision, not because we are all externally marked, but internally. It's we who worship by the Spirit. It's we who glory in Jesus, in his death and resurrection. It's, It's we who take no confidence in our resumes, although you could write it. Only Jesus. And our section ends with Paul's confidence list, his resume. And this reminds us of the list we do carry, that we have made in our hearts, our many prides, our secret and not so secret, And of course, the passage goes on to clarify that for Paul, it's loss. And for us, it's loss. Only Jesus is the gain. Knowing him and becoming like him. Would you pray with me?